If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I know we've been in Mark, but we're going to just hop uh, into Matthew for uh, just a little bit. And I want to read a verse there in a a couple minutes. um, And then we'll hop into uh, Mark. Um, So we'll be in Matthew and and Mark. Um, But I want to um, to share something with you um, that I just feel led to share. So uh, December 12th, I was going for a run. And I was going for a run in uh, uh, Mondays, is a Monday, December 12th, and, and usually I just take off and, and run for a little bit, and uh, people are like, what are you running from? And I'm like, well, it's just a time for me to just to clear my mind and my thoughts and, and get away from the house and just, um, just kind of take a breath. And so I was going for a run, and I was running through uh, the upper Makatawa Trails, and uh, there is a beautiful paved uh, trail that goes into the woods, and uh, I like running out there, and so it was in the morning on December 12th, and I, I went running into the trails, and I came across uh, some things that kind of, that kind of like took me a little bit by surprise. Um, at first, it was just this, this is a trail going up the hill, and you see um, some of the debris on the, the path, and, and usually that's not there. And I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. And I'm, I'm stepping over it. I'm like, did, you know, did a dog leave something behind? Or, you know, I don't want to, you know, make a mess of my shoes or anything. And then I, I kept going up the hill and I saw these things on the path. And there's just going to be a couple pictures of these. And as I ran by, it was the highest point uh, on the trail. And as I ran by, all of a sudden, something in my spirit just was kind of off. I was like, ugh. And I didn't think about it much, and, and I was running, and, I, and, I, and um, just something was wrong in me. And I ran, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to come back, and um, if they're there, I'm going to stop and, and look at them a little bit more. And, and sure enough, uh, when I came back, uh, they, were, they were still there. And there were two words that came to mind as I was running, and my spirit was kind of doing this you know, thing. And, and uh, two words was um, uh, rebuke. And reveal. Rebuke what has happened there and reveal what has happened. So I, I came home, I finished my run, and um, I grabbed my phone and I went back and took these pictures. And I also texted a buddy of mine and I said, I saw these at the highest point at uh, Upper Mac. Like, do you know what these are? You know, do you, do you have any, any idea? Um, and he goes, talked to a couple friends, and he goes, you know, I think they're, they're like something to do with witchcraft and, and altars um, that were, were put out there. And it hit me like this is the upper part of, of like this area. And I know this happens in other places. And this was like startling to me because there are things that happen here in, in West Michigan that we think only happens in other parts of the world. And we think like as we hear missionaries come back and people come back about uh, spiritual stuff that, that happens around the world, we think like that would never happen here in West Michigan. And to me, it was a, a reminder and a call to be spiritually awake. Like we can't just be meandering through our lives because there are principalities and powers that, that are at work here and are after your hearts and your lives. And there is a, an enemy that wants to come in and steal and kill and destroy to get your heart away from the Lord. And to me, I looked at those and I was like, you know what? There are people, and not just in this situation, but all around the world who cry out and pray out to a God who doesn't hear, doesn't care, doesn't answer, will over-promise and under-deliver, under-deliver every time. But we have a God in heaven who loves us, 
who cares for us, who sees us, who knows us, who hears us, who wants to move, who at any time just wants us to pour out our hearts before him. And this is the amazing thing about God. The God that we worship, he wants to be known. And he's made a way to be known through his son, Jesus. Just last week, I was talking about John 17. And John 17, 3 says this. Now, this is eternal life. This is eternal life. Not that we, we pray a prayer. Not that we just, you know, raise a hand and, and make a decision in a church. No, this is eternal life. That they may know you, Jesus is saying, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life. Salvation is all about knowing God and not in our minds, not like with a bunch of information, but knowing him deep in our souls and deep in our hearts, like spirit to spirit knowing that is what we were created for. That is what this world is created for. Ecclesiastes 3 talks about that God has set eternity in the hearts of every person and people will go searching. You and I will go searching for something to satisfy us, but we will be left completely empty until we are satisfied completely in Christ. God wants to know you. God wants to know me. He desires to, to, to reveal himself to us. And this is like just mind-blowing. The God who could be anywhere, the God who could, could rest anywhere, the God who could dwell anywhere, wants to walk with you, wants to be with you, wants to know you, and wants to have you know him. I think about, I think about this. And I think about God who is constantly inviting us into relationship with him. And it hit me a while back. Salvation is a free gift. I never want you to hear me say any, anything else because it'd be wrong. Salvation is a free gift. Paul says in Ephesians 2, it is for by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not based on our own works. It is a gift of God. Salvation is a free gift. We come in through the, the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's all his work. But if we are to grow in friendship with God, if we are to know him and walk in deep relationship with him, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us a lot. It's going to cost us us coming to him over and over and over again, giving up our time and, and other things that we think will satisfy. It's going to cost us coming to him completely and saying, here we are. And I look throughout scripture and one of the tactics that you see that the enemy use over and over again is he always wants people to take the easy way. Satan is all about his tactic from the very beginning is to give people the easy way out. He comes to, to Eve, Adam and Eve, in Genesis 3. And he says, do you want to be like God? Tempts them, do you want to be like God? Well, if you do, then, then eat of this fruit. Well, it's, it's interesting. Like, like, do you want to be like God? Well, like they had this, this relationship with God where they walked with God. And, and uh, Satan is being tempt, tempting them and saying, do you want the easy way out? Do you want to be like God? Well, then just simply eat this fruit and you will. Fast forward to Satan tempting Jesus. Out in the wilderness for 40 days, Jesus was without food and fasting and praying. And, 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 and the enemy comes to him. And he says, if you will bow down before me, I will give you the nations. Well, it's interesting that he promised or he was tempting him with an easy way. When Jesus would, was already given the nations. I mean, he's the son of God. Satan constantly wants us to get, take the easy way out. To take the, the to, to just to, just yeah, just to take an easy way. 
when friendship with God, growing in deep relationship with God, will cost you and I. We're called to be a disciple, disciples of Jesus. You can't be a disciple without discipline. You can't be a disciple without counting the cost and laying everything down before the feet of Jesus and saying, I want to know you. And so this morning, I want to talk about our heart posture. What is the posture of our heart that needs to, needs to be to, in order to grow in a deep knowing of God? To have a deep knowledge of God and have the relationship that you and I were created to have. And so turn to Matthew chapter 5. And I want to read just a, a short little uh, teaching of Jesus. Jesus is up on the mountain. He's, there's a large crowd around him. And he uh, is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And so there's all of these people gathered around him. And I'm just going to read just one verse. And the reason that I'm reading this verse is because this verse was, was shared with me numerous times. And any time a verse is shared over and over again uh, with you, like, I would take notice. I'd be like, okay, God, are you doing something here? Are you trying to get my attention? And this is what uh, Jesus says in, in uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Um, it says, he opened his mouth in two, uh, verse 2 and taught them. And he said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's more that he shared, but I just want to focus there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, happy or fortunate are those who are poor in spirit. These are those who have a, uh, have a desired position. They're given special privilege. And he said, those who are happy, those who are fortunate, are the ones who are poor in spirit. Now, there's two words for this little phrase, poor in spirit. The first one is, is describing one who is, uh, who is poor and has to work hard every day just to buy enough food to live on, just to have enough food to eat. So there's one word that describes like, okay, it's someone who doesn't have anything, so they work really, really hard in order to have some sort of food to eat. The other word for this describes a person who has absolutely nothing and has to beg to get through the day. And so which picture or which word does Jesus use? He uses the second one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those ones who don't have anything and they have to beg to get through the day. For those who live this way, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it could be translated, blessed are the beggars. Blessed are the beggars for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All that God has for, for us is available to those who are beggars because of their poverty of spirit makes them completely dependent on him. The kingdom of heaven, think about it, the kingdom and all that God has is available to those who have a deep sense of need for him. Those who are desperate, those who are beggars, those who are crying out over and over and over again. Blessed are the beggars. Here is the, the key to happiness in life. It's not found in, in possessions. It's not found in a, in a position of wealth or whatever. It's not found in anything that we have. It's found in our heart position that has a dependency upon Jesus. Look at Isaiah 66, and I've shared this numerous times, and I think this is just absolutely profound. Isaiah 66, this is God speaking. He says this, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? 
I mean, just picture that. Use your imagination. The Lord's saying, heaven is my throne room. The earth is my footstool. I put my big feet right on the, right on the earth. Like this is, my, this is you know, where I'm hanging out. But then he says this in verse 2. All these things my hand have made, and so all of these came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one who I'm going to hang out with. This is the one who I'm going to be with. He who is humble. And then here's a phrase that is from Matthew 5, verse 3. He who is humble and contrite or poor in spirit. The one who is a beggar. The one who is so dependent. And the one who trembles at my word. Would you describe yourself as a beggar? Would you describe your life as one who is so dependent on the Lord that you're walking through your day just so hungry for him to show up? Just so in need of him? I just find it so fascinating that, that Jesus used that second word. That here is the person who the kingdom of heaven belongs to. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven is going to be the one who is going around every single day recognizing they have nothing and so dependent on Jesus. So what does this look like? I want to share just a couple pictures that we get in scripture. All around this word begging. And so turn to Mark chapter 5. And I'm just going to read a couple stories. A couple familiar stories. And I want you to see the posture of each person in this story and who gets Jesus' attention. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. It says, When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side. Now, just previously, what had happened here was Jesus was uh, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and we talked about this a couple months ago, and he approached a man who was filled with demons, and he set him free, and the whole town couldn't control him, and all of a sudden, he is set free from a demonic influence, and he's sitting there in his right mind, and so Jesus is now coming back from that because he was kicked out of that area because people were freaked out by him. And it says this, he crossed again in the boat to the other side, and a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly. Or actually another translation says, begged him constantly. Saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. So here's this guy Jairus ruler of the synagogue. This was a man who wasn't a priest, but he was an influential man. He was a man of great reputation in his community. He would uh, give instructions for worship. And so he was well-known, well-respected. And what does this well-respected, well-known man do? He falls on his knee. A man of a high position gets low at the feet of Jesus and begs him because of his daughter who is almost dead. This is what it looks like. A man who is at his wit's end and he gets low and he begs him. And what throws me for a loop every time I read this is here was a great crowd. There were many people there. Many people that could have had access to Jesus. But who got Jesus' attention? The one who was begging. And who did Jesus go with? The one who got low. It goes on. Say, great crowd followed him. And thronged about him. And there was a woman. So it goes from the, this woman, or from the man, to a woman now who had a, had a discharge of blood for 12 years. For 12 years she had suffered 
much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceived in himself that power had gone out from him and immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Here was a woman who had wrestled with an issue for 12 years. For 12 years, because of this issue of blood, she had not been able to go into the temple to worship. She would have actually been uh, ostracized from her community. She would have been isolated because she herself was unclean. And to have any contact with her would have made yourself unclean. And she, so she, for 12 years, was alone, suffering, with no hope because everybody that she had gone to see could not help her. And so here was a desperate woman in the crowd willing to risk her reputation. She pushed through the crowd. And for me, it's a sign of physical begging, like pushing through the crowd, just wanting to touch Jesus. She risked her reputation, risked being yelled at because she was desperate and needed a touch from Jesus. I look at this. I look at these two stories and, and there's more. There's, there's a story in Matthew 7 or Mark chapter 7 of a woman who was a Gentile who hears that Jesus is at a house in Mark chapter 7. He's at a house because he doesn't want anybody to find him. And she comes over to the house, a Gentile woman, barges through the door and says, you need to heal my daughter. And he shares, he says, you know what? I've come first to the people of Israel I, I've not come to the, the, to the Gentiles. And she's like, I get that, but still my daughter is in need. And so she begs him constantly. And what does he do? He heals her daughter. Jesus responds to those who are so desperate, to those who are begging. Jesus says, blessed are the beggars. And for us here living in 2023, I want to become more of a beggar. I want to be somebody who is more dependent on Jesus every single day. Because that's the heart condition that Jesus is looking for. And I, though, think, as I look at this, as I look at this, um, this teaching of Jesus that blessed are the beggars, I look at this, and if I'm really honest, I really have a hard time with it. And I think we have a hard time with it uh, all in this room. Because we live in a country, we live in a country that doesn't want people to be dependent. We like our independence. I mean, that's what this country was founded on, right? Independence, freedom. I'm my own person. I don't need to depend on anybody. And if anything happens, if there's a problem in our lives or, or we come across hard times, you know what? We're going to say, I'm going to work. I'm going to, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to get myself out of this mess. Or even if we work in our lives, we're like, well, I'm going to work and, and so I can, I'm going to work hard and, and do this stuff so I can get blank. And so this whole idea of becoming a beggar makes us uncomfortable or frankly is quite foreign to us. But it's the very type of people that Jesus wants us to become. I was really convicted of this this week 
as we're talking about prayer and, and, and praying and asking God, lead us as a people, lead us. Where do you want us to go? Who do you want us to be? I was really convicted because um, what hit me this week was how often I view my relationship with God as transactional. I come before God and I'm like, I have all of this stuff that I want to just tell him. And I, I'm like, God, I've done this, this, and this, and this for you. So you better do this and this and this and this for me. And I come with my laundry list of things and I say, well, I'm just going to pray about them. So, you, so if I pray about it, if I tell you about it, then I just, I think that you're going to give me whatever I want. And so I have this transactional view uh, of God and relationship with God. And I'm learning and growing that prayer and a relationship with God is not about communication, just like here's my list. It's about communing with God, being with him, coming before him and saying, I just want your presence. I just want you. And if I'm really honest, the thing that is being rooted out of my heart, and I think needs to be rooted out of all of our hearts, is this spirit of religion. Because too often we approach God and we say, look at what I've done. I deserve to get this. Look at, I'm a pretty good person or I've worked really hard. You need to respond this way. And you know what? If God were to give us what we deserve, we'd be in a mess. We deserve hell. We deserve separation from God. But God, who is full of mercy, comes and steps into us and doesn't give us what we deserve, but gives us grace upon grace upon grace. And so we have to come before him just with a, an attitude of thanksgiving and saying, oh, who are we? Like you have showered upon us blessing after blessing. And we need to come to him not just for what he can give, but come to him just simply to be with him. I think about all the people that I, I mentioned in Mark chapter 5. Why did they come to Jesus? They came because they were desperate. They didn't come because they were good or, or something good was happening in their lives. They came to Jesus because they heard about his power, they saw his goodness, and they were absolutely desperate for him. Are we known as a people, are you known as a person for being hungry for the Lord, desperate for the Lord? I think about this, that Jesus says, blessed are the beggars. And what is a beggar known for? Beggars realize they have nothing Beggars realize that they're empty, that they're broken, that there's no ability in themselves to fix their problems. A beggar is one who, who um, his eyes or her eyes are not on themselves, but they're looking and needing and asking for help. Beggars are utterly dependent. Beggars realize everything that they have is a gift from the Lord, and beggars are filled with gratitude when they received. And so Jesus says, blessed are the beggars. Happy are the beggars. Happy are you when your, your heart is in this condition because then he says, there's, for, that, for the people with that condition, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so I believe that the Lord wants us to become like beggars, wants us to become more desperate. And I think the struggle that we have is how do we live like a beggar in a culture that has filled us so much wealth? How do we cultivate dependency in a world that screams independence? Because this way of living is so countercultural, but it starts with what Tyler mentioned, is living a life of surrender. Living a life of, of surrender, saying, God, here is my entire life. Here's every aspect of it. Here's my finances. Here's my time. Here's every part of my life. It is not mine. It is yours. It's coming to the Lord with every situation and saying, God, I don't need just a solution to this problem, even though that would be nice. I just need yourself. I just need your presence. We have to become a people who are hungry for the presence of the Lord, 
hungry to walk with him every single day. And I want us to be known as people who look out on us from the outside. I want us to be known as a people of his presence. There are people that are hungry and thirsting for the Lord. I go back to Upper Mac and running up on that, that uh, path. People take their time to go up on a little hill to seek a God who doesn't answer, who doesn't hear, who doesn't care. We have a God who does care, who does see, who does know. But how often are we coming before him and saying, we are so desperate for you. And this is not in any way to earn salvation. It's to grow in friendship with God. I look around here. I want Tyler and the team to come up. I look around here and the thing that I have heard over and over again the last couple weeks is there's so much heaviness and that people are weary and people are going through a lot in life. And I get it. Life throws a lot at us. Life throws a lot at me. But it is our response Are we responding in a way of going to the Lord and saying, God, this is what's going on. I need you to fill me up. I'm hungry for you to fill me up. See, so often when we come across hard times, we give in to despair or we start to doubt. Or even if, you know, in life, as we hear things happening in our world, we start to debate, you know, how should we respond to this? Instead of falling on our knees in utter dependence on the Lord. And so I know there's heaviness. I know there's things going on in this room. I know there's weights that people are carrying around. Are we the people who are in that, with that, going to the Lord and saying, God, I just need you. And so what I want us to do is stand right now and we are going to finish our time with just a time of worship. And we're not singing one song. We're going to sing a couple songs or see wherever, you know, Tyler, you know, leads us. And if you need to go, this has never been a church where we come together and just check off a box. We've been here and then we can go along our way, you know, in the afternoon. This has always been a community of people that are coming to seek the Lord. And so we're just going to have a little bit of time of worship. And if you feel, I know we're all standing right now. If you feel you need to, to kneel and just to say, God, I need you. Jesus, I'm desperate for you. If you need to have that type of posture, go ahead. If you want to just sit and just be like, I got a lot going on. I need to just think through all of this. Go ahead and do that. If you want to to dance up here somewhere, that's fine. There's complete freedom. But we just wanted to give space here to just hunger and thirst for the Lord in worship. And also, if you want prayer, if you need prayer, walk across the room and just grab somebody or, or grab a neighbor and say, hey, can you pray for me? I need you to pray for me. I got this going on. Let's just, let's just have this be a time and space where we hunger and thirst for the Lord. So, Lord, we are so grateful. I'm just so thankful, God, that, that every time we cry out, God, you are, you are there. That if we go through the, the valley of the shadow of death, that you're with us. That if we're on the top of the mountain, that you're, you're with us. And I ask, Lord, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would just give us a deeper hunger to know you, a deeper hunger to pursue you, a deeper hunger to seek after you. For you said, Jesus, don't worry about things in this world. Don't worry about what you're going to face. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about your clothes, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So God, make us that people. 
We don't want to be disobedient kids who don't seek after you. We want to be obedient followers of yours who hunger and thirst for you. So would you put that in us? Make us better seekers. Make us better beggars of you. Make us more dependent on you, King Jesus. And so Holy Spirit, I continue to invite you into this space and say, have your way. Reveal Jesus to us. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.